Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, DRS in MotoGP, racing in the Middle East, many, many of your questions answered, and of course, World Superbikes has gotten underway, so there's still a fair bit to talk about to bridge the gap between uh, now and the final preseason MotoGP test, and of course, race number one in about a month's time, depending on when you watch or listen to us. Remember, if you want to send us a question, you can do so, you can voice note it uh, do it on your phone and email podcast at crash.net along with your name and where you're from keep it to 30 seconds and we will get you on the show you can also just write us a question as well podcast at crash.net right the recording day is tuesday the 28th of february my name is harry benjamin joining me as ever is crash moto gp editor peter mclaren and former grand prix rider and british champion keith hewin uh now should we start with the world superbike action uh because well it happened uh the first time uh, first round kicking off in australia um pete do you want to just give us a rundown of sort of the, what happened essentially and then and then we can then we can dig in well perfect start for bautista i guess is what you'd say you know running the number one plate there was a bit of talk before the weekend you know when you're running the number one there's that extra pressure and everything else and well it wasn't a problem for him he won in the wet he won in the dry and yet yeah, all all three races um and teammate rinaldi was also fast as well he was up there Tougher time for, for Johnny Ray and, and Toprak, Razgatlioglu on the Yamaha. Um, you know, yeah, the, bit of a setback for them at the start of the year. You don't want to give Bautista a head start, and he's got quite a lead already in the standings now going into Indonesia. Um, of course, added to all of this in the World Superbikes is that Toprak is one of the names in contention for a MotoGP seat, that, that factory seat at Yamaha, which will be decided. It's more Bedelli's at the moment, but his contract is up. So... Yeah, he, you know, it's the early part of the season often when decisions are made. So also for top rack, not only for his World Superbike Championship hopes, but uh, people have short memories. So, uh, you know, he'll want to get on top and winning as soon as he can if he does want to make that move to MotoGP. So, yeah, I guess the other talking point is probably going to be all of the balancing rules and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not an expert on any of that, but the Ducatis, OK, uh, top rack was taken down by Alex Lowe's in the last race, but I think it was the top five positions four of them were ducatis or something like that so i'm sure there'll be people saying that uh you know that bike is is pretty awesome at the moment and should something be done but it was only philip island it's only one track quite a unique track let's see what happens in indonesia world domination for ducati then that's what they're aiming for at the moment no doubt about that it's a faster motorbike he's got a lightweight guy on it he's very very fast anyway knows philip island like the back of his hand gets good results there Philip Island's got a very fast corner onto a very fast straight and a very fast corner off of a very fast straight. Um, so if you've got a well-sorted motorbike, then it's going to go well there. But, I mean, it is blatantly a rocket ship compared with everybody else's, so there might be a tweaking of the rules. Uh, interesting as well, talking about Ducati world domination, I read this morning a, a quote that came through to Paolo Giabatti. You know, 
Ducati don't need Marc Marquez. They've got their own alien as it is at the moment. They're promoting their own riders as it is at the moment, which I thought was significant. He's been saying it for some time. Paolo Giapatti is, is an old hand. He's been top of the, the tree at Ducati for a long time. Um, but they've always said it. And what have we always said as well? I mean, if you if Mark wins on a Ducati, it's Mark winning. If he loses on a Ducati, it's Ducati's fault. It's a poison chalice for a big firm. I think we've talked about it when it looked like maybe KTM might may try and make a move on Mark if he could, if they could at one point when they were buying talent left, right and centre, both off track and on track. Um, but it's it's one of those situations. Look at Van Valentino, the biggest name in the world, um, went to, to Ducati almost disrespectfully. You know, it looked like um, he was saying things along the lines of well, we can sort it out within a few races. But of course, they couldn't sort it out. There was it was an inherent problem with the Ducati. I said to Pete before we came on air, I wondered at the time whether that was, you know, Valentino having another swipe at Casey Stoner with, uh, yeah, we'll sort this bike out. No problem. When uh, Casey, you know, obviously said it had a, a few problems here and there that needed um, working on. Um, you never know. It's always complex when it gets to the personal politics of top riders and uh, the little um, scores that they like to settle on and off track. Always good fun. But no Ducati for Mark Marquez, it would seem. Certainly no, no, no rumours moving in that direction anyway. Right, apart, from yours, apart from yours, Harry. Apart from mine. <laughs> yes. I, I, I think I clearly went a bit viral in, uh, in Indonesia with a blog uh, stating that uh, Mark Marquez was going to Ducati. That's pure opinion, pure conjecture. Um, Mark, if you want to come on the show. Set, set the record straight feel free doors well, always we, there doors always we, open we did go down the road of alex marquez now riding a ducati it sort of opens a door doesn't it so yeah i think that i think that that was fair to say that that there, there is always that possibility i mean mark obviously opened door at honda for alex you know mm. the, the reciprocal might um, might come come his way you can never say never um, and we know how ruthless mark is on track and you can be fairly sure in business he will be just as ruthless and he's 30 years old now. He's, I can't believe I'm going to say this. He's running out of time. You know, we've had COVID, we've had injury, we've had all sorts of things. If that Honda doesn't start to perform in the manner that he needs it to, you know, a switch has surely got to be on the cards when he gets towards the end of his contract because he's running out of time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if we just, uh, before we come into more MotoGP, seeing as we start with World Superbike, should we just stick with, with that side of things? Because in, in Super Sport, of course, um, a, a Moto3 uh, refugee, uh, John McPhee, had a pretty good time of it. Well, he did. I mean, in really, really difficult conditions. I mean, McPhee, if you consider that, that McPhee almost ended his career at um, Phillip Island, uh, you know, just a few years ago when he had that massive Moto3 crash uh, heading down to MG Corner, I think it was, um, out of... Uh, Whatever the corner, the left-hander is at the top. But anyway, I'll work that one Lukey, out later. Lukey Heights. <laughs> You've forgotten already. Name to corners. Um, but the fact is, is that McPhee goes well round Phillip Island, but his first ever World Supersport race in very difficult conditions to be on the podium, real result. And Tara McKenzie, I mean, like McKenzie, fifth place for him as well. I mean, the two Scots uh, flying the flag out there. Absolutely. Well, we are a, a, an international podcast, but obviously we're all British. So there's the bias for you. Enjoy that one in the comments. Um, well, that was uh, the action over in, in World Superbikes. It's just good to get some, some bike action underway, really, for the year. Because I, I kind of didn't realise how long this gap was in between in between the first test and then the second one of the first race. Uh, but we've had a lot of your questions coming in. And there's some uh, articles recently on Crash.net written by Mr. Peter McLaren himself um, about uh, aero movable fairings, DRS, 
Uh, if I, uh, this is great because it's F1, brilliant. Um, Daniel Scott has asked, will slash can Active Aero make an appearance in MotoGP? I'm thinking Aero brakes, flaps shutting in the wings and those same flaps closed off when turning on the inside. And I think this sort of plays quite nicely, Pete, with the article you've, you've written about these movable fairings possibly coming into MotoGP over the next few years. Will MotoGP have its very own version of, of Formula One's DRS? Well, yes. we can only hope not. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes so the, the DRF reference would be just to explain that one. So that one came from Karate Check It Out. Now, what he was pointing out was that the ride height device that we've spoken a lot about on here, all three of us, is actually, okay, so it's to stop wheelies. But what he's saying is that actually it's working like a DRS system now because it's it's dropping the rear of the bike, so it's changing the angle of the wings and it's giving the top speed boost. Um, so that's he's seeing that the, the emphasis in terms of lap time has shifted from from sort of, this thing really helps with wheelies to this thing really reduces drag on the straights, which is exactly like you guys have in F1 where you pop the rear wing up to sort of reduce the drag. So that that was the comparison there. So they're not introducing, let's say, a DRS system, but what they have already with the ride height device is kind of working like one. Now that, that, that then opens another can of worms because it means that the ride height device is actually an aerodynamic device. And then coming back to the question that was mentioned there about you know moving aerodynamics, active aerodynamics, they are banned. So you're not supposed to have anything on the bike that that is moving as you're going along because that would just the expense and the the the, the improve you know the speed improvement you could have if you had loads of downforce in the corners and then you took it all away like an airplane taking off. You know if you pulled all the flaps in on the straights, which is what you would do with active uh, aerodynamics. It'd be a massive thing. Aerodynamics is quite restricted in MotoGP in that you can only update them once per year. You know, you can only change the fairing design or any of the aero parts, as they call it, which is other parts of the bike as well. If it's anything to do with aero, you can only change it once per year. The other thing is you can't have anything movable. And that's the phrase they use. So this discussion about the movable fairings, that was just how could you then within the rules change this one fairing design that you've got and all that can only be updated one time how could you have sort of different setups for it? And it seems that legally you could sort of just put it on the bike in a slightly different position. That That's basically the, the bit, the, the, the slight sort of grey area, if you like, that could be done. But in to, to answer the question, moving aerodynamics, no. Active aerodynamics, you cannot have. You cannot have parts, those clever parts that they have where it bends backwards as the bike gets quicker. That's another way of having an active aerodynamic system. Um, that's not allowed. And what they do is they put weights on it. Oh, Danny Aldridge has got a proper, you know, it's all specified as a test and he'll pull on it and prod it. And if it moves, you're in trouble. So that's how they stop that as well. How do we keep stumbling into this? It, it amazes me that we stumble into these situations. I mean, it was obvious. If you lower the back end of the bike, you you lessen the, the angle of attack of anything on the front of the bike. So therefore you're losing a bit of aero. So straight away you've got, it's a bit like the, the you know, Yamaha's, um, rain deflector that moved into an aerodynamic thing on a Ducati and then everyone's up in arms over the, the aero scoop if you like in front of the rear wheel if you remember it but Yamaha had it for ages and it was a deflection device to stop the rain coming down the fairing and going on the rear wheel it splayed the, the water out sideways each side but Ducati good old Gigi you got it all worked out hang on a second we might be out of you they, they got away with that by saying it was a tyre cooler <laughs> it, re it deflected the air to cool the, the rear slick tyre, when in actual fact it was an aero device. I mean, here we are again. I'm glad to hear you say that, that Danny's across the, the weights and 
weights and measures of, of fairings and the like, because we saw it in Formula One when you had bendy wings and stuff like that that was all moving around. And I, I, I just, we keep stumbling into these things that have already had a precedent in Formula One. You've only got to look across at the, at the mega budget wind tunnel orientated four wheelers to realise that we could head, the, head this way. And it's a bottomless pit for funding an effort. And pretty much a waste of time on motorcycles it's got to be said yeah it's an interesting exercise but it's too much money you know it already we've got ex, we've got an extended calendar massive calendar there are rules in place what you've got to bear in mind as well the rule book for a, for a, for MotoGP is what 20 mil thick an inch thick you know that's it 25 mil what's an inch 25 mil or 20 mil I'm not. What's an inch exactly? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how many many centimeters? (laughs) (laughs) But we move on rather swiftly from Pete's inch. But um, it is one of those situations where, you know, we've been there before. Why are we not writing this out? Writing this this rule book a little bit thicker, a, a little bit more to contend with some very complex issues. You know, these are complex, but there is precedent already been set by Formula One, by other, you know, even, dare I say it, NASCAR. You know, NASCAR to the cigarette paper. Do you remember what they are? If you don't remember what an inch is, a cigarette paper. You know, it's the finest tolerances that they have for that saloon car shape that they have to go through a form. Each and every manufacturer has to be passed to an absolutely precise measurement. You know, even NASCAR. And that's about as archaic as any motorsport could possibly be. I think they've still got live axles, aren't they, in the back of them things? Anyway. I don't, don't know exactly, but... I mean, but... Coming back to the Superbike, the, the World Superbikes have got wings now, haven't they? There's on the BMW, the Ducati... Uh, well, I think know, if they're homologated as a road part, yeah. then that situation is different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, traction control. I think in, in traction control terms, some of the some of the road bikes got better traction control than the race bikes. <laughs> but it's a, it's, it is a situation where... You know, it, the ambiguity, the, the rules need to be squared away at some stage. Yeah, I mean, how, how are we now talking about the fact the ride height alters the, the aero? Blimey, we were talking about that in commentary, I think, the first time we, we saw a ride height adjustment because it was obvious that, the, you know, the, the angle of attack when the thing is in, in its normal position is like that. And the second you sit the back down, obviously, the angle changes. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that out. Even me from Essex can sort that one out. So it's, it's kind of... Um, it's it's almost a bit daft that we're ending. We keep stumbling into these occasional conversations about, you know, what's a ride, what's a what's an aero adjustment, what's not an aero adjustment. It needs flattening out from a from a, 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 a technical perspective, so that um, people like Gigi Delinia and the other brain boxes in the paddock can't keep taking advantage of the odd uh, loophole. <laughs> The, the reason why they're allowed to do it with the with the ride height device is because it moves as one with the bike. So we're saying that active aero, all that is banned because that's when things move individually in a different way to the bike. The ride height device, basically, it works like if you squash the rear of the suspension. That's all it's doing, isn't it? So they can't differentiate it and say because it the bike moves down under acceleration, the front moves down under braking. This is doing the same thing. It's moving as one. If it doesn't move with the bike, then it's illegal. Now, the difference here is that the time gain used to be from, from getting the anti-wheelie, lowering the back, lower the center of gravity, less wheelie, more acceleration. They've now tweaked it and realized they can get more time gain at the end of the straight than they can at the start. So uh, that's the way it's going. But yeah, I think we, we've, we've mentioned it before. 
when the new package of rules comes in, which will be this end, the end of this five-year contract that we're in, we're probably going to see some, maybe right, rear right height devices will go the way of the front, which is banned from this year. Maybe the rear will go as well. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, You've got to also consider the safety aspect. As we get faster and we get quicker down a straight on a, on a MotoGP bike, the tracks are becoming closer when it comes to barriers and the like. And that is a major problem. The velocity that, that riders are able to get into some of these corners nowadays and get off of corners, they're so quick. And it is going to be a problem. You know, 200 mile an hour, 225 mile an hour motorbikes at places like Mugello, you know, it, it is fast and more velocity means you've got that weight and rider um, meeting with the barrier where they didn't used to even get there in the, in the old days at some tracks. So, you know, there's a lot of changes that have, have really got to be considered overall when it comes to this new rules package when we eventually get there. I'll tell you what, and I've said it before, I mean, when you've got a whole paddock against you, Danny Aldridge and his very small team of technical guys, they've got to think up what these other guys, they've got to preempt what these other guys are already got in the in the pipeline for, you know, they're not going to show their hand uh, early, that's for sure. So if they don't get these rules nailed, you know, Danny and his very small team um, are going to be just swamped by the likes of Gigi Delinia and anybody else at Prilia are working really, really well at the moment. They've got themselves uh, their act together as well. Um, it's going to be a bit of a nightmare for Danny and co. But of course, at the end of the day as well, the MSMA, they've all got to agree. You know, the Manufacturers Association has, has got to agree whatever these rules are going to be. Effectively, the MSMA, they write the rules. Danny only implements them. At the end of the day, it is the manufacturers. who That's a, a fact that perhaps shouldn't be overlooked in the circumstances. Anybody smart won't have overlooked it. But of course, anybody that's not used to the way MotoGP runs, the manufacturers agree the rules. They agree amongst themselves what the, what the technical regs ought to be. Danny upholds them and polices them. Um, obviously, he, Dorna, Erta all have some input. And uh, there are the wider implications of, 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 of trackside safety and the like as well. So it's a big deal. Right, uh, let's move on, shall we, to um, a bit more MotoGP chat because Dorna CEO... Carmelo Espeleta uh, was with the F1 CEO, Stefano Domenicali, uh, last weekend over in Qatar, um, over the weekend, having a look at the new updates and all the modifications that they're making uh, to the LaSalle circuit. But it got me thinking, and mainly because I was at, I was giving a talk yesterday and I was asked this question and I was like, oh God, I'm not quite sure what the right answer is. Should MotoGP be racing in the Middle East? It's a political question, isn't it? I mean, we've been at Qatar for some time, um, so it's got some some history. Does that make it all right when he, when the human rights situation is so prevalent and such a high-profile situation nowadays? You know, money talks, and motorsport is about money. You know, MotoGP, Formula One, um, you know, Formula One have come under a fair bit of criticism, but it all gets brushed under the carpet. And when you've got governments that are dealing in arms and aero and other bits and pieces that are integrated into the political life of the Middle East. It's a complex question. You know, the simple answer is, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not up to modern day human rights levels, then you're really laundering your credibility through sport is perhaps not that attractive. To normal people, you would say that it isn't attractive. And I dare say, if you asked just about everybody in the street, um, about something along those lines, if they give the slightest care at all to, to human rights around the world or even think about it. You know, the trouble is, I suppose, that we, we, we 
we live in a very privileged world, don't we? A first world situation where none of these things really touch us. The war in Ukraine at the moment, the horrendous, the horrors that are going on in the world at this moment, you know, it is homogenized through our television screens, you know, then brave reporters and, and, and TV crews that are actually on, on site. It's almost, it's almost video game-ish. You sort of look at it and think, oh, yeah. But it's horrendous. And the same thing goes for, for human rights and anybody that's being oppressed in any particular way in a country is a majorly serious thing. And taken, if you took it on board, we wouldn't be going there. If they, if they didn't get away with the PR, then Formula One and MotoGP wouldn't be in these countries. It's only because we're all pretty lazy and we're not taking it on board in the serious manner that these things are that, that they're getting away with it effectively. Um, and Formula One and MotoGP need the kind of funding that comes out of the Middle East. Um, so it's the position we're in. I mean, from my, my perspective, if you want a direct answer from me, you know, from my ivory tower of living life really nicely with my family and with no problems at all, um, I would say even with that in my mind, um, we shouldn't be going there. See... I, I wasn't sure when I was asked this question and I think I disagree with you because maybe maybe I'm coming more from a Formula One perspective because we have some we have Lewis Hamilton, right? And with all due respect to MotoGP, since since Valentino Rossi, you know, Mark Marquez maybe, but there's no global superstar. We've had that conversation, right? There is there is no global superstar right now. And I get the PR thing, and of course that has to be utilized. But uh, when F1 went to Saudi Arabia uh, two years ago for the first time all of those same issues were brought up but in particular the fact that in in Saudi Arabia women weren't allowed to drive but then that law was changed over the course of the last few years but in that first uh meeting of Saudi Arabia Formula One and last year uh, they had um these young female racing drivers like Abby Pulling who's part of the Alpine Academy and uh, another woman called Hamda Al-Kwabesi who is a, a Middle Eastern racing driver in Formula Regional, which is sort of the gap between F4 and F3 at the moment, they had them demoing and racing old F1 cars around the track. And I just thought, well, actually, yes, it's a PR stunt, but that surely goes a bit beyond the PR and it shows the young the young girls living in that country that actually, oh, this is possible. You know, look what they're doing. I'm doing yeah, it. It's, do you know I what I call that, Harry? What? I call that appeasement. I call that a token gesture towards the reality of things but what and, else and that annoys me even more um because i don't believe that that is a is, is a credible um situation um it, 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 it you know getting a few girls running around in demo cars just because you know like let's 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 tick that box you know it doesn't work for me as an overall i understand the fact that you're better off being inside trying to change things and i the lewis hamilton point is a very valid point in that Lewis is particularly, you know, he uses his platform for the betterment of the of, of, of these things, mm. whatever they might be at the time. But all the same, to have any kind of not so much regime change, but to 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 speed up the change within these places that you need to speed. Look at apartheid. How long we had that? I mean, we couldn't you couldn't fly through South African airspace. You couldn't if you had a South African passport. You couldn't. Right, you know, Court Ballington couldn't race anywhere until he had a different passport um, back in the day. You know, these these changes take a lot of time. And it might be right that we go there and try to make changes from within. 
But I don't feel sometimes that we put enough pressure on the regimes by saying, well, look, we, we can't do this because, you know, sorry that the contract is, you know, we, we'll, we'll honour the contract till we get to wherever we get to. I don't know. It's a, it, I mean, it's a massive thing, but I, I, I wonder whether we are putting enough pressure, applying enough pressure. Um, you know, let's go for the, the, the gay rights, wherever you want to be with, with all of that at the moment, LGBTQ um, business. I mean, the fact you couldn't have bloody multicoloured shoelaces or, or have anything that was a nod towards, mm. you know, other ways of life is wrong in the modern day. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, being an old... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bloke, I come from, from a, an era of being able to say stuff that I wouldn't even dare say nowadays on air. Um, these changes have to be made. You know, they have to be made. The modern day, I, I said to you last time, I think we were arguing about this, that, you know, my children and your children and, and, and the like will be running the country, will be dictating what's taught at schools, will be uh, the, the future legislation of our world will be down to our children. So we as older people have to catch up with that, have to understand it and try and influence our kids in the right way because woke thinking annoys the hell out of me when it is just for ticking boxes and being extremely snowflakeish. I can't stand it. But I agree that things must change in, in certain areas. And, and the same thing goes for sport in countries that don't support human rights to the level that we have and the level we expect in our own countries. My wife likes it more here than she does in her own country because of our laws and because of our equality. 
Now, take that one. You know, our house is a mixed bag here. Um, and it's wonderful because you get so many different perspectives on things. Um, uh, you know, UK, we're always bloody moaning about our police and moaning about this and moaning about that. We've got one of the best countries in the world when it comes to equality. Yeah, there's still room for improvement here and there. And I'm sure that, you know, certain ethnic minorities will, will, will be shouting from the rooftops. Well, hang on, what about me? But it's, it's, it's there. We have a platform to be able to enhance, you know, that. Whereas a lot of countries that we're going to with, with motorsport don't. You know, that's, that's it. And Qatar is a good one, you know, because I sat next to the managing director of the Qatar Stock Exchange on the way home from a Grand Prix. And I won't go into the personal details of the conversation, but what a six and a half hour trip that was. Normally I, I go to sleep and I normally go to sleep and snore. One JD and I'm off on the way home. <laughs> Classy. But this guy, they actually held the plane for this guy because he just had a, a governmental meeting. And, and so we were held up by an hour so he could get on the plane to come back to London. Really, really nice guy. But some of the views, honestly, that, I mean, you kind of go, really? And he was, and he was a, a highly educated top brass in Qatar. Great conversation, very, very interesting conversation to understand the the way that Qatar is made up of, you know, there's only like 250,000 true Qataris in Qatar, despite the size of the place with the amount of people that are in there and the way that their lives are structured within, you know, their Islamic, you know, structures, if you like, then it is quite, and I said, it's quite a conservative country and he disagreed, you know, but here's a country that when I got to my hotel lift one day and it was full of ladies in the in the hotel lift I felt intimidated I didn't feel I could get in the lift and I didn't I let the lift go till the next one came because I wasn't sure whether I was going to be in trouble um, getting into a lift with with ladies dressed in 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 their their particular style of gear very very complex very complex subject great question um, personally and that's the only way we can talk about this is a, is, a, is a personal view I think we should be wielding the hammer a little harder when it comes to these trips into the Middle East. Um, I wouldn't want to be a woman that lives in the Middle East. Would you, Harry? No, no, not at all. I agree. I, I My one caveat, and Pete, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, not a caveat, but how realistic is it to expect high you know, sport to, to actually change government policy you know i suppose formula one and motor gp are a much more smaller scale when you look at something like the world cup that was in qatar you know arguably that's probably got more of a better chance because they were there over a long sustained period of time whereas you know motor gp and formula one are there over the course of a, of a week really and, and it's all over across a weekend that's it harry i mean it's so complicated isn't it as you guys have been been saying all great points i mean you know the one thing one thing the beauty of sport is that it doesn't matter about anything else other than what goes on on the racetrack, isn't it? And then you have other people that will say business is business and everything else. But then, you know, you know, you do think, well, should we be in these places? And, and and for me also, should we be in places where, let's face it, there's not that much fan interest when you go somewhere and you and, and there's, there's hardly anybody in the grandstands. You, you think, well, yeah, exactly, Keith. I mean, the, I, I've said it before, but the, the figures you hear is that the money that Qatar pays for their race basically funds the travel for the flyaway races you know that because Dorna have to fly the teams to all of the the flyaway races at the end of the year and and that's you know this is what the sport needs that kind of money to to continue and uh, as you say Harry you know MotoGP is a lot smaller than Formula One and Formula One is a lot smaller than the World Cup and so then you have what realistically can you do as a sport but at the same time 
are you allowing yourself to be used to project a nicer image of somewhere and, and really really difficult i don't there's no right or wrong to it is there it's just you know how do you how do you you know what standards do you set for that kind of thing i honestly don't know it's got to come down to influence you know our sport must have a coherent a coherent strategy on ethics and that must be promoted within our our rules if you like for for, for future grand prix you know promoters in my view um, do we have a strategic situation there or do we just negotiate with whoever it is and, and providing they pay the biggest money, we, we go there? I mean, it's uh, it can't surely be that simple. There has to be a bigger worldwide um, view on it. But then again, we're not behind the scenes. We come LOS Baletta, who has a massive balancing act. To, you know, The amount of money they lost during the pandemic or the amount of money they didn't make during the pandemic, bearing in mind they are a business at the end of the day, you know, would MotoGP collapse if we didn't go to these kind of places? You know, that's a, that, you know, that comes into another situation. Would through through, you know, banging our drum regarding human rights or whatever it might be that we're we're going on about particularly, you know, would that cost us our sport in those situations? So, like you've just said, Pete, massive subject. It's got to come down at the end of the day to personal opinion. You know, we all have in a democracy the right to turn our TVs off, to cancel our subscriptions, to move on. Each one of us has a very tiny amount of power. If you stopped watching BT Sport, cancelled your subscription, um, or whatever you might do in protest, if enough people could be bothered to do that, which they won't, we know that, it will have an effect. But if nobody collectively can be bothered to make a stand of any kind or voice their opinion and of course we live in a world nowadays where if your opinion doesn't go with the with the majority then you get cancelled and trolled and stamped on personally or whatever it might be um so if you've got an opinion that might be right but isn't popular um you're going to get you know all sorts of hell so it's a very we live in a very difficult world at the moment on on so many fronts but we are still living great lives and we are lucky to live the lives we live in my view it's it certainly yeah tricky go on pete apologies no i no i was actually just going to say and if you were wondering why they were all there of course that the qatar is being rebuilt isn't it all the facilities well, yes. and everything else that that was the reason for this visit that you brought up harry quite rightly i think the, the f1 test was it was it bahrain was not far away and so obviously you've got motor gp flying in you've got uh, Domenicali, the F1 boss flying over, and it, it was to get an update on basically what seems to be pretty big. I mean, the circuit is the, the circuit itself, the track layout is the same, but everything else sounds like it's going to be rebuilt, and uh, uh, including from from what I've heard, I have no confirmation of this, but they're moving the the start finish line closer to the final corner. They're they're almost flipping the the pits and paddock. That kind of thing. So, a lot of work going on there, which is why they've made this effort to go and see how it's how it's getting on for MotoGP. Now, now the obvious question is, well, will it be done in time? But for MotoGP, it's not a worry because the Formula One Grand Prix is first. So, mm. you guys in Formula That's One, the deadline, will test it out, and then MotoGP, it's it's the penultimate round of the year. And it, and just on one other thing on that, all of this calendar, this sort of quite sort of a strange calendar that we've got in MotoGP this year in terms of there's a bit of a break after Le Mans and then there's a, the second half of the year is really a bit of a nightmare. It's all kind of followed on from Qatar not being able to have the opening round. That's what's caused everything else to have to move. And, and it's all been a result of this uh, these upgrades that you've uh, you've mentioned here, Harry, that they've had the big meeting with Formula One and MotoGP about. 
Yeah. Worth mentioning, Harry, off the back of all of this, Qatar as an event is is a good event. You know, the, 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 the nighttime racing is interesting. It's very, very good to go and watch. Qatar itself is a you know beautiful city. Um, from a tourist point of view, if you ignore everything else that we've talked about, great place to visit. I enjoy it every time I go. Am I a hypocrite? Tricky one. Well, the, I'm sure the comments will, will say that. Uh, let us know what, what your thoughts are. It's it's obviously a tricky subject, but I think it, you've got to talk better to talk about it than not. I think is is the way to go about it. Um, and how do you invoke change? Well, you you shine a light and you try and talk about it. But at the end of the day, if you want to make lasting change, how do you make that jump? Um, and how do you actually make those those inroads? Let us know what you think in the comments. We'd love to hear from you, um, Keith. You're shaking your head. How did we ever get this political? I can't I believe know, it's that a good, <laughs> how seventeen. Seventy-eight episodes in, and how Keith hasn't been cancelled yet—I have no idea. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, I, I like to think that there are a group of people, quite a large group of people, that, that think similarly to me, but don't have the opportunity to perhaps discuss it uh, in in the, the situation I do. I mean, like you know, we all have our opinions, but um, it'll be interesting to see what the comments come back for us. Do do please let us know what your thoughts are regarding it. I mean. Uh, don't, you know, take the opportunity to, to stick something in the comments so that um, people out there can access it and have a look and see what the wider audience of, of Crash.net think about these kind of issues. I mean, you know, when we're talking about aero, that's one thing. That's a, an important issue from a sports point of view. When we're talking about worldwide politics and, and, and you know, what's right and wrong in the world, I mean, that is just massive. I, I, again, maybe we shouldn't talk about this stuff. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe we should stick to sport as... I'm sure there's a fairly large group of people out there yeah. that will turn around and say, why did you waste 20 minutes talking about this when we wanted to talk about the sport? Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, yeah. Who was that MotoGP rider that is now a politician in, Fra- in France? Who was that? Well, he was Zar- it was um, Sarkozy's uh, sidekick, as it yeah. was back in the day. Oh. I can't remember. We've talked about him before, but I can't remember his name. But uh, that, I'm not really making a point. I'm just like, well, there's a Christian Estrosi. There you go. Christian there you go. There's, you know, there's a, a guy who raced and, and is now in politics. And can you argue, can sport take place without politics? Vice versa? Let us know. Let's move on because uh, we've got lots of questions from you. So we would like to hear from you. And you have done so in your not quite thousands, but a fair few. Um, let's start with this one from Gary Simmons. Uh, why does nearly every rider rip a tear off while heading out pit lane on a new run? Shouldn't it be brand new or spotless leaving the garage already? It is, but it's like the protective film that you have over your helmet while it's parked in the garage or while you're, you're fiddling around with what's going on, you know, getting yourself ready. So you you tear the, the, the first one off when you get to the end of pit lane so you've got pristine views you know you might have a thumbprint on it when you put your helmet on and when you've you've pulled your hat on but then you get rid of that one and away you go mick finley with the new tracks on the calendar this year some being almost completely unknown such as india how does a moto gp team even start to prepare for that weekend what can they do before the track team arrives hmm it's a very good question i mean obviously they're going to look at the maps elevations predicted you know gears and the like they've got data from other tracks that they can overlay sometimes onto where they are with with um, a new track um some of them will have visited the track probably in track inspections and stuff like that taken time to go and have a look um maybe had a bit of a run around on a road bike but it is a very difficult situation and if there's no if there's no sort of 
car-orientated stuff previously, if it's like a brand new racetrack, then you've got no onboard footage or anything like that that you can take a look at. It amazes me, and always has amazed me throughout the years, how riders get over jet lag and a new racetrack as quick as they do. You know, they just seem to turn up. Uh, and you, and with a new racetrack as well that's not been used, if it's a little bit green, that tra- track changes session to session. So not only are you learning a new racetrack, learning a new motor, you know, the motorbike settings and the like to go with it, but also the track surface is changing, you know, by the minute. It's a, an incredible amount to sort of focus on and work out. And and this year, with the amount of as we've spoken about already, free practice straight into sprint races and, and, and the like, you've got no time to sit down and consider what's going on particularly. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough, tough ask, that's for sure. It's a good question, isn't it? Because the two new tracks this year, they won't be a test before, as far as I'm aware. So India and Kazakhstan. India, Keith makes the point of whether you'd know it before. India, I suppose, with the F1, they could get on a, an old computer game and perhaps get the layout from that. And as you say, check out the video footage because I think the track is still the same as it was for F1 when they visited. Um, Kazakhstan, completely new track. So what could they do? I mean, I, you, you hear, I think Michelin, for example, go and they actually take a mould of some of the tarmac so they can get an idea of, of how much grip it will have, which will help them with their tyre selection and that kind of thing. There will be an increased tyre selection. I believe, for those races. So just to cover every eventuality. So we're down to only two, um, actually, compounds this year. We've gone from three to two. So, you know, let's say, for example, soft or hard or soft or medium at each round. So maybe they'll have more choices. Well, they will. I'm sure they will. They'll have more choices for these new events, just in case. One of those choices will be a tyre that could probably do the whole season, let's be honest. That will be just in case something really radical happens in terms of tyre wear. But yeah, it's it's one of those. You could probably get, I think, gear ratios would be something they could probably measure, isn't it, without riding? You've got the grip for Michelin. You might send someone, I don't know, if you have a if you, you have a local dealer, they could go and do a track day there on a super bike. And, but again, nothing's like a, a MotoGP bike. So it's still going to be a leap into the unknown. What's the deal with simulators in MotoGP? Because obviously F1, you know, they can just try a new track in the team simulator. <laughs> I've never heard anything about that in MotoGP. No, I haven't either. To be honest, I I don't think they can. I don't think they have, as they have in F one, a full on simulator of of a bike that you could sit on and everything else. And but I'm sure they do. They do have modelling systems for things like suspension and all of that kind of thing. And um, back at the factory that that we never get to see. But yeah, you never hear the riders, for example, talk about things like simulators. They talk a lot about video um, video analysis now. So they have their own camera teams. Each team has a camera that'll go to a particular corner, film their bikes and film their rivals. And then they, I guess they kind of overlay them and look at where they're losing and that kind of thing. But again, you need to actually be riding on the track to do that, don't you? So yeah, it's always an exciting one when you get these these brand new circuits. Well, thank you very much for the question. And the voice note questions are clearly not playing ball. So we might have to come back to those, but it's okay because we've still got a couple more. Um, Jamie Miller. Hi, chaps. Enjoying your podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Jamie. I have been a MotoGP fan for many years now, but I have to say World Superbike has been so good over the last three or so years, it's getting hard to know where to put one's allegiance. One of the many differences seems to be the comparative dominance. Oh, this is a bit ironic given the first race. Dominance in pure numbers of Ducati and MotoGP. So my three-part question is, right, okay, given Ducati have now achieved their ambition to once more be world champions, one, how long do you think they will maintain this level of investment? Two, what would happen if they decided to reduce this investment? 
And three, do you think it's good for the sport that any one manufacturer can have such a numerical and investment advantage over others? Tell you what, like all of them, mm. numerical and investment advantage. Well, you tend to see this, don't you, over the years. There's always one factory that's got a little bit more brass to put into things. I think Ducati, they filled a, a gap. I mean, let's let's face it. You, you've got 24 bikes on the grid, potentially. You know, that's not that many. So if you loosed, lost half of Ducatis and gave them just an opportunity to run four bikes... Um, you'd be down to 20 and so on. It's a it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, Ducati do have an advantage because of data, because of all the things that they can get by having the amount of motorbikes they've got on track. Um, World Superbike, you know, they've got too much of an advantage, in my view, uh, in, in World Superbike, but I'm sure that will get addressed as the as the course of the year goes on. Maybe Kawasaki will get the 500 revs that they wanted, rah, 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 to try and, to try and sort that out. Right. What was it? What was part one and part two? <laughs> well, part one was should they uh, have be able to have such uh, uh, investment? Two. What happens if that investment dec- uh, decreases? Well, it, I mean, like everything else, I mean, once once a factory and a boardroom have decided to get to a certain point and they've got to that certain point, they will review their their funding. There's no doubt about that. But how that will how that will pan out over the next few years? I mean, Ducati at the end of the day, you know, can you imagine Ferrari spending less money in Formula One? Yeah. It wouldn't, you know, wouldn't happen. That's they are all about racing, you know. Well, we've got the cost Ducati, cap now. Well, yeah, there is a cost cap mm. that somehow certain people manage to circumnavigate. You know, it's, it's account accounting. Accounting is a difficult thing to keep track of. <laughs> I'd like to know how they do that personally, but um, but again, I can't see cost caps coming into to MotoGP. Just managing it would cost millions. Um, I think that the, the amount of money that, that Ducati, it will find a level and, and they will reel it back at some stage. Um, they needed to get to where they've got to now by winning manufacturers and, and, and riders' trophies. <clears throat> they needed to get where they, they are. They get back to where they are in World Superbike. Um, they are a racing brand. They are a racing mark. I can't imagine them um, not being in there. Yeah, and of course, winning all these championships, that helps with keeping the investment going for that part of the question. You know, it's a lot easier to say to uh, the people, that the accountants, if you like, as Keith brought up there, that you need this money for racing if you're winning. And that's what they have been doing. So I think in the near future, you know, winning will help assure them that they will still have the budgets that they've had in the past. Um, as far as, you know, is it right? We, we've said it before. It's, it's a free market, isn't it? I mean, the satellite teams, they could go to another manufacturer if they want. But the reality is all of those Ducati satellite teams, they've got a chance of a podium this year, even the ones on year old bikes. Now, mm-hmm. if they went to another manufacturer, and of course, there's this talk about will VR46, for example, switch to Yamaha. Well, you know, they might actually end up in a less competitive situation if they were running right now. Um, you know, if there was a satellite Yamaha team, we saw what the RNF team, you know, they had a tough time last year. Would you swap the Ducatis for the, for the Yamaha? You know, it's a it's a longer term thing. You've got to bring in other factors as well. But if you're a satellite maybe, team, you live by results. Maybe that choice should be taken away from them like it is in Moto3 in that there are so many Honda teams, so many KTM teams. I know it's split up now. We've got a few more manufacturers, but effectively they are KTM. Um, that were, you know, there were the, the numbers were, you know, if you if you wanted a Honda, but there was only a KTM slot left, you got a KTM. Um, maybe there is a situation later on to legislate for that. But again, then for me, that goes against the prototype 
scenario. I love the fact that we're racing prototypes. They are one-offs. You know, you don't see them anywhere else. But, but again, it's a good point, and it's one that's been talked about many, many, many times. You know, Yamaha at the moment are the ones with the least bikes on the track, and they have got the most trouble coming forwards. They've got the, the different configuration, you know, motor-wise than anybody else now. Um, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how Yamaha you know, dig themselves out of that hole over the next year. It, it should sort of even out, shouldn't it? Because as you say, Keith, Yamaha realise they're losing out now. They need a satellite team. So that how do you get a satellite team? You have to offer better machinery than the satellite team has got at the moment. So in a way, it should sort of self-balance, shouldn't it? Where, where the factories almost have to compete to get a satellite team. We're yeah. hearing now, probably if Yamaha come back, I would assume they will have to provide factory bikes to that team, which they didn't in the past, did they? There was one. It's a chicken bike. and egg, though, isn't it? Because the, the, the factory team isn't um, quite the team that you would want to be with at this moment in time, perhaps. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a real chicken and egg. If they produce a motorbike that, that is world beater again, um, they won't need that satellite team. So they'll be OK with just the two they've got out there and, and cut the cost. So it's a, it's a real chicken and egg situation. But, you know, Yamaha are the ones that um, have got to step up. But, I mean, Phillip Island is not typical of, of tracks that we're going to be going to as well. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, perhaps when we get to uh, Portugal, the first one out. You know, we've seen, seen how quick bikes are at uh, Phillip Island. It's a difficult one. That's World Superbike, I know. But it kind of gives you a flavour of what's going to be going on during the course of the year. Different tracks, different bikes, different riders get on in different places. Um, it should balance out as we get going. Well, well, thank you, Jamie. An excellent three-part question. Thank you. Um, Riverside isn't playing ball, so I cannot play uh, the questions that have been sent in through a voice note. So I'm very sorry about that. We'll fix that up and roll them over to next week. So I think we shall leave uh, it there for the time being. Uh, thank you, gents, for your time as always. Make sure you're tuned in to Crash.net uh, across the week for all the latest news and analysis. And uh, We will be back with you same time, same place next week. And with the ability to play your questions this time. So get them in, in advance. In the comments, you can leave your thoughts and opinions or you can tweet Instagram or Facebook us. Just search Crash GP. The email address is podcast at crash.net. Keep your voice notes to 30 seconds long, please. Leave your name and where you're from. And remember, it's so important to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, particularly on Apple and Spotify. So in the meantime, we'll see you right back here next week. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, from Pete McLaren and Keith Ewan, bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.